Okay? Uh, and I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. You're joining us for the class that I normally do here. About half of you are in this class, half of you elsewhere. And uh, we're going to talk about Bible difficulties. But just to get our brains working this morning, on such a cold morning, let me ask you a few uh, goofy questions. Name a state you might want to travel to during Christmas vacation. Florida? Colorado? Montana? Aren't they colder than here? I'm not going to Minnesota, okay, because of that reason. I've been away from Minnesota for a long time. Yeah, that's right. They're over. They're there right now. What other states did you have? Florida? Okay. Arizona? Here's what they said. This was a survey. Washington. Okay, this not D.C. This is the state. I'm not sure why. Illinois, I have no idea. Okay, Alaska, in the winter time. Okay, Colorado. Okay, got skiing going. Florida. Okay, New York. But number one. No, it wasn't Pennsylvania. No, no, Pennsylvania's not there. You're dreaming. You've been drinking eggnog already this morning. Something. It was Hawaii. Hawaii is number one. Absolutely. A gift that is really hard to wrap. A car. A car. Yeah. So that's why you've never gotten him a car for Christmas, right? Yeah. Okay. A chainsaw. <laughs> is this a subtle hint? This is what you want? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's that? A puppy. Yeah. A boat would be there too. A bicycle's up there. Not a boat, not, okay. Yeah, somebody said bicycle. Here's what they said a vehicle, a bike, a pet, stuffed animals, football, and number one was a basketball. Have you ever tried wrapping it? Neither have I. Okay, so I have no idea. Name a classic kids' movie, Christmas movie. Home Alone? Charlie Brown's Christmas? Here's what they said. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Christmas Story, Charlie Brown's Grinch and Elf, and number one was Home Alone. What are some family traditions people observe on Christmas Eve? Friday night, what you going to do? Go to churches up there. What's that? Open one gift. It is going to state that, you know, the thing, opening one gift. Okay. Any, anything else on Christmas Eve? Caroling? Yep, that's good. Here we go. Watching a Christmas movie, going to look at Christmas lights, putting out cookies, read the Bible story, go to church, dinner at grandma's, and opening, and it did, I abbreviated it, it said opening one gift only. So there, here's one. Name a food that's part of your Christmas meal. Ham. What'd you say? Cranberries? Covered with coconut? Is that <laughs> Turkey, somebody said? What else? Ooh, I don't know why we're talking food. I'm already getting hungry, so I hope the, I hope the preacher goes fast this morning. Okay, here's the different things that they said that are part of their Christmas meals. And this one, name characters, characters present at the first Christmas. Shepherds. Jesus should be in this survey, right? Mary should be there. She's an important character, okay. Angels, I don't remember if angels are up there. Wise men, okay. Will it be in the survey though? Yeah, here we go. Animals, angels, wise men, shepherds, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. But you know better about the wise men, right? Were the wise men there? No, no, okay. They don't show up until up to two years later. So what we want to do is we are trying to train ourselves to make sure that we understand Bible and get the facts right. Well, sometimes when we're studying Bible, people ask us questions. In 1 Peter, did I say 2 Peter? 
Okay. In 1 Peter chapter 3, for those of you not joining us, this is on a regular weekly basis, you're in one of the other classes. This is the passage that we are starting to, to discuss when we do the, do the topics here. It says in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, let's back up to verse 14. If you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. Be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is within you. Answer with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you. Okay? And so we've made these observations from this uh, one passage as we've been starting several different observations that uh, those of you who've been here the several times that we've met, we've discussed this. That idea is to give an answer is to give a defense. To be able to explain why we believe what we believe, but do it in a gracious, not condescending fashion, but making sure that our lives and our lips match. And so this passage says, you and I need to study the Word of God to be able to answer questions that people may ask about about our faith. Okay, now we mentioned this and I used an illustration of somebody who had called me a couple Fridays ago here at the church and uh, called to argue over the doctrine of Jesus Christ whether he's God or not. And the person was extremely aggressive. Extremely aggressive. And, uh, and um, uh, quite frankly it was an attack. It was similar to what I had experienced last Sunday after preaching on Jesus. Somebody who was here, uh, man, did they blast me at the door about how I'm a heretic. And, uh, you know, and, and they started asking questions, but then it went into an attack. Well, in the last couple of weeks, I told Deb, this is, this is every week something's going on. But we have to be able to give an answer, and when we're doing it, to give an answer that's reasonable. But some people are not going to, we're not going to satisfy their, their, Curiosity. We're not going to give them satisfactory answers. Why not? It's their heart. It's a heart issue. For some people, uh, the Word of God says that they don't have the Spirit of God within their heart. Therefore, they're going to be extremely antagonistic to the truth. In fact, we read about the gospel will be hid as head to them that are lost. And yet, at the same time, even though we know that not everybody will agree with what we say, we still need to be able to give an answer and to give a wise answer and to explain why we believe what we believe. So we've talked about some of these topics already. Uh, is there a God? How do we know there is God? How would we answer it? How do we answer, is there a trinity? We talked about what did God do prior to creation. We talked about this idea here, is Christianity exclusive in beliefs, or can anybody, as long as they're sincere, is it okay? And for those of you who weren't in our class, we gave you, we showed you a survey that of the evangelicals in America, this is from 2020, the evangelicals in America, which was 33% said of the people that said the only way to get into heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. Of that group, and I'll share this with you because this is shocking, of that group, 60% of those who claim Jesus is their Savior, 60% said but if you believe in Muhammad or another faith, that's going to be sufficient too. That was of those in the 19 to 30, 30 years old bracket. 60% of the next generation of, of evangelical believers are saying there's another way to heaven besides Jesus Christ. That is scary for the future of the church. That, that's, that's just, that just shocks me that would be the case. Um, here's a question I want to deal with quickly because I want to get with the next question. Is Jesus God? And you have to be able to answer this. But let's do this first question. You may think this is a really foolish question, but this is promoted in a lot of secular universities. Okay? That they question, was Jesus a real character? Did he really live? If you want to see some of this discussion, go to the History Channel. Okay, they will debate this, and scholars will deny that Jesus was a real person. They will say he's a mythological character like a Hercules, like some of these other characters from mythology, and, you know, he wasn't a real person. How would you answer that? How do we know that Jesus really lived on earth? There was people who testified of him, who saw him. What else would you answer? There's, there's what was written? Historians wrote about him. Okay. More than one. I'm going to, 
Lots of them. I'm going to give you some of that information here just in a minute. Any other, any other? You get challenged with this. Somebody at the water cooler asks you, and you go, wait a minute, I never thought about it. How would you answer? Somebody's, what was that? Do the, go to Israel? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of evidence there um, that we can put together. Here, here's some of the very simple answers, okay? Um, those who question, and, and by the way, just if you say, well, I don't think people do this, these are some of the scholars, quote-unquote, who would say that there is no Christ. Some of them are teaching in universities. One of these gentlemen goes around the world and he lectures in a lot of the theological schools with the idea that there was no Jesus. He's very, if you look him up on, on Google, if you Google him, you'll find he's a very popular character going around and doing these discussions. And uh, the idea behind Jesus was not a real character. There's a name for it. It's the Jesus myth. So if you Google that, you'll get information. You'll get, find a lot of stuff because it's, it's commonly promoted. Okay, so we're answering it, and we're going to say, number one, there's the New Testament documents. There's writings. The same way that we would look in American history and say, how do we know that some of the people existed? How do we know that George Washington really existed? It was, well, there's documentation. There's writings about him. Okay, none of you have met him, have you? Okay, you've not seen him face to face. Yes, no? Okay. Um, so you say, okay, it's the same thing we do with a lot of other characters. How do we know Julius Caesar existed? Documents. Documents. Um, and there's less documents about Julius Caesar by far than there are about Jesus Christ. But historians don't question Julius Caesar. But we have a lot of New Testament documents that give this information. Uh, as Pooch said, there's 500 witnesses that spoke about Jesus at one time. In fact, if you go just beyond the New Testament writers, you go into what we call the church fathers, the very first century, the second century. Some of those people who were writing, they didn't see him face to face like John and, and others, but they met the people who saw him face to face. They were the second generation so to speak. And a lot of these writers, they give all kinds of evidence about them. Even those who do not like Christianity, there are some secular or anti-Christian. This character, you probably don't recognize the face because it's just a picture drawn of him, but some of you have read some of his writings. His name is Josephus. He's a Jewish historian who was pro-Roman at that time, and he wrote quite a bit of information that we have about the New Testament, a lot of the documentation, uh, a lot about the, uh, the period before Jesus and up through his life. And he wrote about Jesus and made comments about him. That there was this fella, he was a real historical character, that he even had to be brought before Pilate. So we have this historian that is accepted. He is one of those great historians, supposedly, that gives a lot of information. And he talks about Jesus Christ. Then you have a lot of Jewish historians that they mention things about Jesus Christ in some of their writings, a lot of the rabbinical writers. And they mention that Jesus was a real person. These guys, again, they're not favorable to Jesus. They're critical of him. And then you have a lot of Roman historians that had no inklings whatsoever, no consideration uh, about being pro-Jewish or pro-Christian. And these fellows they repeatedly mentioned this character Jesus. He was tried by a pilot. He was crucified. So as, as we've heard several of you make comment, there's a number of historians that wrote in that era or close to that area that gave information. Then you have the impact of Jesus' life on history. That all of a sudden, okay, so we say, how do we know Abraham Lincoln? People who testify, who wrote about him. Did he have an impact upon our nation's history? Yes? Whether you like it or not, did he have impact? Yes. And so we say, okay, did Jesus have an impact upon society as a whole? What about all these people from all around the world? Now, I understand there are radical elements that people will die for something extremely radical. We know that. We know that they're the extremists. But what I'm talking about here is that Jesus Christ, followers around the world, for generations, not just a one little cluster of somebody who's, who's extremely radical, but people from around the world for generations, even to this day. Are there people right now being persecuted for Jesus Christ? Yeah, okay, they're giving their lives. And they, people don't do that for a mythical character. 
They do that for somebody who's real, who has made an impression upon their life. Which brings us to this fact. One of the best evidences is you. Okay? Have you been impacted by Jesus Christ? You're supposed to say yes, okay? That he has made a big difference in our lives. So here's where we conclude with this one section. And very, doing it very quickly. And one author, a Christian author, put it this way. That he says, it would never enter anyone's head to ask whether Jesus had lived unless, before asking the question, the mind had been darkened by the wish that Jesus had never lived. Okay, what he's saying is, if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are, okay, that are lost. And so you have somebody who is already predetermined in their heart and their mind. They don't want Jesus to have existed. Otherwise, they're not a good historian, right? A good historian accepts the facts and the evidences, and so they don't. Now, here's the tougher question. How do you know? That Jesus was God. Somebody asks you this week, well, who was Jesus? And you're going to say, Jesus was the Son of God. You're going to use a title, okay? How do you know he was God? How would you, what would you give for evidences? Go ahead, Ron. Okay, his... Okay, okay, Ron made comment that Jesus said, I and my Father are one, okay? John 8, then they responded and they want to kill him. His enemies knew what he was saying. Okay, this, this isn't like, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. There are those who read that text and they say, well, you know, people didn't, you know, Jesus meant one thing and, and his disciples then twisted it. Uh-uh. His enemies understood his claim. They understood his claim. Absolutely. What other evidence does he give? By the way, Ron, I'm gonna, if I were a critic, I would challenge your evidence that you just gave. Because who are you quoting to make, to make claim that Jesus was God? Okay, okay. But if, if we were debating it, I would say, well, you're quoting the guy. How reliable is that guy? Okay. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we believe it, okay? We, we, we start with the premise that we believe. Because, because this comes down to, this comes down to what you believe about Jesus, where you start. Okay, you believe he's either a legend, a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Okay, and you start with the premise. Okay, and so you say, okay, I might be open, but a lot of people start with the idea he's a legend or he's a lunatic or he's a liar. Okay, and so we take the same evidence, but they're going to end up somewhere different. What else would you say? How do you know Jesus was God? Go ahead, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Where the, quote, the idea is you're, you're combining Old Testament and New Testament statements. God gives, shares not his glory with any. But Jesus talks about John 10, John 12. Talks about having the glory of the Father. Anybody else? Any other comments? The miracles. The miracles. Anything else? What's that? All these prophecies about him. That were amazing. Okay, if I'm, I'm going to do alliteration just to help me to remember, you know, my quick response to somebody who says, okay, Jesus was never God. Here's, here's my alliteration that, that and by the way, um, this is an important question. It was important to the people of the New Testament, right? Because this was their debate. This was their discussion. Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Because the bottom line is what we believe about Jesus makes all the difference in our belief. Yes, no? Okay. So what did people respond? In the New Testament, if you were there at the time that Jesus was preaching, what did some people say he was? Who did they say he was? They said he was Moses. Okay. Elijah. Okay. A prophet. John the Baptist re- come back, which makes no sense because they knew they were, they, they, what else did some claim? A great teacher. So, and this is still today. Yes. Do some people say that he was just a great teacher? The Muslims say that. Yeah, exactly. And some would say he was disillusioned. 
None of you remember this, but there was a, there was a musical that came out in the 70s about Jesus. Jesus Christ. And now I just put it in your mind, right? Okay. Okay. Okay, Jesus Christ. It was based on this, that he was a deranged individual, that he really didn't understand his, who he was. And so the idea is he was caught up in a situation, or we come to this conclusion, that he was God in the flesh. Now, I come to that conclusion for several reasons. Here's my reasons that I would give, and that some of you would say, oh, and I did one more introductory comment. Okay, let's do it this way. If you were looking for a God in the flesh, what would you expect him to be like or do? Perfect? You would expect a God in the flesh to be perfect. Yes? What else? What's that? Okay. Not able to die or if he died, come back. Okay. What else? To the ability to do miracles. A God-man should be able to do that. What else about a God-man? Okay. To do God stuff. Okay. Anything else? Which is doing a God thing. Because the only one who can forgive sins is God. Okay. So if, if um, you know, the question that comes up, some people will put a little bit more than what you did. They would say this, if I expected, if, if there was a God man, I expect him to have an unusual entrance come into humanity a little bit different than we did, right? They, some would say this, he would, should be totally, and you, you mentioned that, okay, perfect. The idea to have supernatural power over creation, um, to, to be able to do a whole lot more than the Marvel comic characters can. But the Marvel character comic, comic uh, characters are a whole lot more powerful than us. Okay, the idea that he could suspend natural laws at his will, power over disease and death. He would speak profound words. Yeah, wouldn't you expect a God man to say things that were, wow. Okay, the idea to have lasting influence, not be harmed without his permission. Even if he could be harmed, he wouldn't be harmed long or he wouldn't stay dead. And I think this... I added this to the list that, that I found in multiple different studies. I think he would have a profound self-awareness. He would know who he was. Okay? Because unlike us, what is our problem? Do we fully understand ourselves? Now we're getting really deep. Okay. But what is our problem? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Okay, do we deceive ourselves? Do we not understand our potential for good or evil? Okay, so he would have a profound self-awareness. So with that, now let me give you under all A's for alliteration. Why I believe he's 100% God, 100% man. The attributes, you mentioned this, Ken. I think you were the one. Somebody else piped up. But the idea of does he... Is does he show Godness, the attributes of God, such as this? He was eternal. Please, please give me a verse that says he was before creation. Where was that found? John 1, when did you hear that last? Last week, yes. Okay, somebody listened. Okay. Okay, so we have that idea. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And remember from last Sunday's message was as the idea of always in the past and in the present and in the future. I am Alpha and Omega. Just in case somebody here doesn't know, what is Alpha and Omega? Okay, the idea of the first letter of the alphabet to the... Okay, so it's a phrase with the idea of uh, I'm, I'm everything in between. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, Colossians, he was before all things. The glory that I had before, he says, he's talking about the Father. The glory I had with you before the world began. Multiple passages that he was eternal. Something else that makes him like God, okay? Uh, oh, oh, I needed to stick this in. I forgot I had... Because there are groups that are going to be hitting, and they just somebody told me they were just going through the neighborhood last week, uh, going around giving literature, and they don't believe Jesus was always God. They believe he was created. 
And they use two words that they argue and say these two words indicate he was a created being. Firstborn and only begotten. What does firstborn mean to you? Okay, let me, let me rephrase this. In modern English, what does firstborn seem to imply? Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Okay. In, in most English, and here's, here's, here's the struggle we have, okay? We are dealing people who are living in this day and age with us, and when we read the Bible, how do we usually interpret words? How we understand them. Have words changed? Do English words change? Okay? Has the word gay changed in, your, in a lot of your lifetimes? Has cell phone? Years ago, a cell phone meant you were in jail and you got one call. Okay? Is that what it means today? I'm not, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just, is, do words change? Okay, so when we read only begotten or firstborn, most of us, and, that, and that's what happens when all of a sudden the, the fellow from JW or somebody comes up and challenges us, we go, oh yeah, that's kind of what it means. And we don't, understand, we, we don't stop to think, wait a minute, words when they were given back in 65 AD may be different than they are in 2021. Would you accept that? Okay, so here's what it normally happens. At first glance, they imply birth or a beginning. Firstborn, only begotten. Most people would say, okay, that, that in English, that's what it kind of means or implies, or he's something lesser than God. He, he, God was preeminent, and he's next to them, but that is not what the words meant back in Bible days. And so we jump back in, well, not always. We jump back in Bible days, and let's do the first one first, okay? Again, just so you can wisely understand and don't get confused, and you're going to read, you're going to see this coming up at this time of the year, the firstborn son. Okay, when it's sometimes firstborn, like the first, it's used of Jesus, the firstborn of Mary. What does that imply? Okay. Did Mary have other kids? Okay, we know that's true. Okay, so could it mean, you know, just the, the way that most people would take it, that firstborn simply meant the oldest? Okay, that's a possibility. And Jesus was called firstborn with that in mind in some passages. That is, that is biblically true, folk. Okay, that is true. He was called the firstborn in relationship to the, his brothers and sisters, which if you're not familiar with, he had at least... How many siblings? At least four brothers and two, two sisters. It's, it uses the plural for sisters. It doesn't list their names, but it lists four brother, uh, four, the names of four uh, boys. So it could mean that. So don't say, well, the firstborn never meant. It did at times. Okay, But further study, when we go into the study of the word and we go, and what's really important is when, when, you're, using, when you're studying New Testament, and you're studying the language of the New Testament, and most of us were not scholarly enough to do that, but the New Testament, we know, was written in Greek. The most common Old Testament scriptures at that time was the LXX. Do you know what that means? The Septuagint. That was the Hebrew Bible written in Greek. So to understand a lot of the words that were used in the New Testament, it is really helpful to say, how were the Jews using Greek words in, when they translated from Hebrew to Greek? But that gives us a lot of insight. Such as, how did they understand prototokos, the, the word that we get firstborn? Often in the Septuagint, that word had the idea, and by the way, this, this what I've just said, is tremendous help when we go to Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14, we're going to look at this morning. Behold, a child shall be born unto 
I I said it wrong. A blank shall conceive and bear a son. Do you remember the word? A virgin. It's really interesting to say, what did the Jews understand the word to mean when they translated from the Hebrew to the Greek? What word did they use? Because in the Hebrew, it wasn't real specific. But in the Greek, it's very specific. A young lady or a virgin. And so, with that in mind, uh, the word sometimes shows up uh, in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint. For instance, in Exodus, they are told, uh, Moses and his brother are told, go and speak to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, Israel is God's firstborn among nations. Does that mean um, chronological order? That Israel was the very first nation ever, ever put together? No. No. What it means is they were God's highest ranking in his, in his mind. So you have that showing up where it says this. God's appointed king, I will make him my firstborn higher than all the earth's kings. So the debate is, is he talking about David or is he talking about Messiah in this passage? Either one. The question that you have is, is God's appointed, if it be David or if it be Messiah, were they the first king among all nations to ever be on earth? Chronologically. Were there other kings before them? Yes. So this is not sequence of time. This is priority. Okay, so we keep on going and says, okay, Jesus was the firstborn of creation. It's not the first created. And so you get the guy who comes to your door. He's going to debate with you. And here, just, just for you to answer, okay, firstborn, if you were going to say first created before all things, you would use a totally different word. Instead of prototokos, you would use the word first created, prototistos, you would use. And so the, uh, this idea of firstborn is understand that in the Old Testament understanding coming into the New Testament era, firstborn could mean first in sequence, but it also meant first in rank. Okay, now we ask this question, okay, of you. Who in your, who in your family was firstborn chronologically? Was it you or a sibling? You got it figured out? Okay, I mean, that's the easy one. Okay, I was not the firstborn. I have three, three siblings ahead of me. Okay, had to think. You're not the firstborn. You had two siblings. But the question is, who's the firstborn in rank? Or in other words, who was your parents? Now we got a discussion. Okay, now we know. Okay. And so were you the firstborn in your parents' mind? You're the most favorite. Oh, and by the way, you had mentioned this, that in the firstborn, it came down to those who were of the highest rank. They got, what are the inheritance? They got what's called a double portion. Okay? And so that whole idea, and it didn't always have to be the oldest. Jacob and Esau. Okay? You have Isaac and... Ishmael, okay? Who is the firstborn chronologically? Ishmael, who is the firstborn in favor? I, okay, so you understand how that worked. That's firstborn. The only begotten, which again, as soon as you read begotten, you and I come up with the English concept birth or, or beginning. You know, in, the, in this word, that isn't even in there. It's not even a possibility, when you go through and study the word, this is used of Jesus Christ, and you know some of the familiar passages, where it talks about Isaac is the only begotten son, the monogamous. Did Abraham have other kids besides Isaac? Physically, yes or no? Okay, but why is he called the monogamous, the only begotten? Because begotten in that word that's used, it means favor or rank or priority, Period. It doesn't have anything to do with order or consequence. And so it's not anything, and here going back, this is, this is just to confirm this, this is the standard Greek um, dictionary that's used by 
all groups, all religions. And it says pertaining to this word, it's idea of one of a kind within a relationship that is the favorite in the family or one of a kind when it's a whole group. Somebody totally unique. Has nothing, the word has nothing to do with even a possibility of origins. It's just favor within a private relationship or among all of creation or all of cars or all of houses or all of jobs that you had. And so this whole idea is used multiple times and it's used even of God talking to Abraham's your only son, your only monogamous, your only begotten son Isaac, your most favorite, the one that you bestow. So when we come to monogamous, it's the idea of a unique individual. Which by the way, are we called the sons of God? Is that legitimate to call us all sons of God? Yes? Okay. Is Jesus the only begotten Son of God? In other words, compared to us? Do you understand why he's using it? The only begotten Son of God. Those who are born again are Son of God. So what is that elevating Jesus? Above all of us. Okay. So that's the way it's used. So we have that idea. Okay. Is Jesus omniscient? Did Jesus show omniscience knowing things when he was on earth? When? What what did he say that he knows that others may not? What's that? He knew all about the Samaritan woman's life. And she hadn't broadcasted that. Everybody else did. But what else did he indicate that he knew? What's that? He knew their heart. In fact, not just once, but weren't there several times he knew that the Pharisees, what they were thinking and what they were like. Somebody back here, somebody's hand was going. Anybody else? What's that? She beat you to it. Yeah. What else? Anything else Jesus knew that was profound? He knew he was headed for the cross. Anything? What did he know in relation? He knew his blank was come. His hour was come. His time was come. Okay? Uh, Jesus knew all. He knew about Nathaniel. I saw you when you were under the tree. Okay? He knew about this idea, what was in man, that you had mentioned his hour was come. He knew who should betray him. When he, when he gave Judas the sop, everybody else said, he's the betrayer. No. What did the others think? He's going out and he's going to do business. Okay, they didn't, nobody guessed it was Judas. Okay, the, the idea of Jesus knew their thoughts, we see that. And we, it, the disciples said, Jesus, we know, now we know that you know all things because this we believe you came from God. Okay, so he showed omniscience. Okay, but that doesn't mean all the time because at the same time, what did he have to do as a child? Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom. So, okay, so he had the ability, but he didn't always use it, but it was there. Okay, and this fits Isaiah's prophecy about the spirit of wisdom and understanding on him. Then he is omnipresent. Not so much during his lifetime, but does Jesus talk about omnipresence now? Okay, give me a verse. Okay, Hebrews, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I, lo, Matthew 28, lo, I am with you always, even unto the, okay. What about two or three? Did I do the right Okay, okay. So Jesus indicates that there's some omniscience, that omnipresence. Immutable. What does immutable mean? Unchanging. Tell me how Jesus is unchanging. Okay, you got it. You got it. Where this man, because he continues ever and has an unchangeable priesthood, aren't you glad he isn't a changing priest? Okay, this idea goes, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. And in Hebrews 1, that's, yeah, in Hebrews 1, he's making, he's quoting from Psalm 110, I think in this section. He quotes from several different Psalms, but he's in Psalm 110. And when he's quoting, he talks about how you are unlike the hills 
and you are unlike the clothes. That's it. The hills and clothes. <clears throat> Do the hills change? Does, does environment change? Look across the street. Has that field changed its, its you know, whatever you call it, the grade? Okay. Does it change each time you drive by? We know it's changing. Okay. Because we hear the blast of the dynamite. Every so often we hear, we feel, okay, that feels changing. Do you ever change your clothes? <laughs> Should you change your clothes? Okay. Okay. So he's saying, unlike the mountains, unlike clothing, Jesus doesn't change. That's his point. Okay. And the only person who's like that is God. God. Okay, so we go a little bit further. Okay, he in his attributes he was sinless. Got verses for this? Anybody have verses? What? You're in Second Corinthians, I believe, chapter five. Anybody? Go ahead. Tempted in all points, like as we are yet without sin. Any other verses? Pilate. I find no fault. I was impressed in Scripture. This, this sounds, probably my ignorance is showing. But how many different verses there are that say he was sinless? There's, there's a, I, I thought, oh, there's a couple. There's several verses. I didn't put them all down. But there's multiple times when it is stated, why does the New Testament keep repeating this? Because they want to make sure we get it. He was sinless. Okay, so now let's shift. Not only was he like God in activities, he did stuff that only God does. Can you think? You mentioned one already, Ron, a little while ago. Do you remember? He could forgive sins. And the disciples and the Pharisees and the Jews said, no man can forgive sins but... Okay, and then Jesus forgives the sin, and he says, do you think, which one do you think is harder to do? Forgiving sins or... You remember the, do you remember the story? The, it's the quadriplegic let down through the roof. Okay. Which one would convince people is actually happening? The, the miracle would. Okay. Because you could discount the forgiveness. And he says, okay, I forgive your sins. But just to prove that that happened, I'm going to do something that is... People can't do. And he gets this guy to walk who has not walked. And so just to show his power. There's something else he did that only God does in the scriptures. Only God does this. And it's something, it's an act. It's something that was done. Yeah, somebody said, a couple of you did. Creation. Give me a verse that says God, Jesus created. Give me a verse. Okay. I'm looking for John 1 just to see if we're there. Okay. And the word was God, and all things were, yeah, there we go, yay, we got several who listened. Okay. <laughs> so we have multiple times that it's talked about that Jesus Christ created. Okay. So we have that idea that's stated over and over again, Jesus created. And we've already stated he forgave sins. We gave you the one story, the one illustration about the paralytic that was let down. He also says to the woman, who was uh, anointing his feet. Your sins are forgiven. Something else is this. This is what somebody, one of you, oh, Ron, this is what you suggested. And I said we could debate this. But this is part of the reality. Um, Jesus asserted, he claimed he was God or uniquely with God multiple times. Let me, let me just show you what I mean by that. He claimed he was Messiah. Okay? What I have in your notes is just the references and I hope I, I put the right numbers down when I copy this for you. But the, uh, he claimed to know him was to know God. That's a tremendous claim in a Jewish culture. Okay, The idea to see him was to see God. He made the statement to believe in him was to believe in God. He made the statement to receive him was to receive God. He made the statement to hate him was to hate God. All these claims that he and God were of equal uh, in the, uh, of ability and personality. He, to honor him was to honor God. So we see all of these things. He says, I do the very works of God. He makes the claim that God was in him. He was in God. I and my father are one. And so all these assertions that he made, 
But he backed them up, not with just a... I mean, seriously. Um, Sam Sabotin told us the story years ago about how when he was in Chicago and doing a, um, a church ministry there in an area that was rough side, uh, a part of town, um, a drunk came into the service one evening, and he says, while Sam said, while he was preaching, some of you remember this story? While Sam was preaching, the drunk stood up and said, I'm Jesus Christ. I'm God. And Sam didn't know what to say. Can you imagine preachers not knowing what to say? Okay. And Sam said, I was, I was befuddled. And then it came to my mind. He said, God put it there. He said, buddy, lift up your hands. Do you have the nail holes? Are there any, were you ever put on the cross? He said, the guy went, No. He said, but Jesus, they, he had the, after he resurrected, he said, I guess I'm not Jesus. And he sat back down. Okay. So people make claims, but Jesus backed up his claim. Right? Yes, no? We've seen this time and time again so far. Okay. There's uh, his assertions. And by the way, and this is, and Ron, I agree with you. This is very important, what you, what you uh, were defending your position when I was pretending to argue with you. How the people responded to him at that. His enemies understood what he was claiming. Okay, because they want to, they want, they even say you're making yourself equal with God and that you, you yourself are making yourself with God. They understood his claims. Okay, groups today, they, they can claim what they want. They can say, well, people didn't take it that way. Yes, they did. They took it that way. They, they, we know that from, from Bible. Okay, Jesus displayed authority and you've already mentioned this over nature. How did Jesus show authority over nature? Calm the seas. Walked on water. Controlled the fish. Oh, the coin in the, in the, to pay the temple taxes. The fish as well. So there's all these different ideas and, and proofs. They're, they're supernatural, but it shows that he controlled all of nature during that time and could change things and do things and make things alive or make things even to all of a sudden... They're voided. They're, they're dead. They're the idea of the cursing of the fig tree. Did he show power over people's bodies? Absolutely. When? What? What did he do with people's bodies? He healed them. Raised the dead. That's a pretty big thing, right? Okay. Yeah, did he, what did he do for Peter? That was amazing. What do you do for Peter that none of us, no, nobody else but Peter has ever done? Okay, made Peter be able to walk on water. So when we talk about him healing, and this is an important thought for you to keep in mind, he didn't heal just the diseases like, I see that you've got some arthritis growing in your back, which is, can people have arthritis in their back? Okay, okay, you've got arthritis and I just healed it. You didn't know you had arthritis but I just healed it. That's a pretty spurious claim, is it not? Yeah, I can, I can, you have a million dollars in your pocket. I just put it there. What are you going to do? You're going to, I just took it away before you reached for it. Okay. Yeah. Who are you to argue with that one, huh? Okay, it, it works in my benefit either way. And, but Jesus healed real diseases, and when he healed, he didn't heal Okay, I'm going to heal. I've only got 10 healings in my pocket. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. We, we, we misunderstand that. He healed all kinds. Yeah, if Jesus were here today and he was healing and wanted to prove that, I don't think he'd have a problem going to Hershey Medical Center. Okay, healers today have a problem going to Hershey Medical Center. Okay, but not Jesus Christ. Okay, and so Jesus had the authority over death. You already mentioned that, and not just once. Not just twice. Which death didn't I put up here? His own. His own. Okay. So great power. He has affirmed. Now this is an interesting one. Others, and, and here are the, um, and the reason I bring this up, because you can say, well, others may be. Remember in Jewish culture, in order to prove something, you needed to have two or, okay, the witnesses is critical. Now Isaiah Isaiah is the one who, remember in Isaiah 6, he saw God high and holy, lifted up in the temple of God, and the angels were saying, holy, 
Okay, this is the guy who saw God in his temple. Okay, keep that in mind. He writes about Jesus, and he writes these things. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name, okay, we all know it. Which one's clearly a God name? Reserved for God alone. Besides all of them, but, okay. The mighty God, okay, the Elohim, the everlasting Father, okay. Did Isaiah know what he was saying? Okay, did he believe in the deity of the Messiah? Okay, very clear. Okay, um, the Apostle John. Let's do it again. Did the Apostle John ever claim Jesus was God? John 1. Okay, where he says, in the beginning was the Word, words with God, and the Word. Yeah, yeah. In fact, John writes, and he uses that Alpha and Omega, those terms that are used only for Jehovah as you go in the Old Testament. And so John is saying Jesus is equated to Jehovah. He made no mistake, no bones about it. Here's one for you. Jesus' half-brother says, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The phrase, the Lord of glory, shows up again when the Apostle Paul writes, the Lord of glory. It is a quote from Psalm 24 that is talking about Jehovah the Lord of glory. So when you're talking to a witness who says Jesus was never called Jehovah, that's not true. That's not true. That, that is, that's just not the case. Did God the Father ever call Jesus God? Where? Where? Of where? Where? Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 is written to say Jesus is better than anything. Okay, and he starts off. Jesus was better than the highest of all creation, which is what group of, when we're talking highest, the most powerful? The angels. And he starts off, and the first chapter is he is better than the angels. And then he talks about he is better than Moses, who was the, you know, the Jews hero, better than Abraham, and he goes all through this litany in the first three chapters of of Hebrews about Jesus being above all. And in this text, he calls Jesus God. You need to know this. You need to have this one marked. Because if somebody says Jesus wasn't God, then if Jesus wasn't God, why did God the Father call him God? And if God the Father called him God and it was a mistake right? Then, then God, you, you got a problem with the God you're worshiping. So this is a critical, critical passage, and it is an important passage that we teach our kids. And we make, we go back to where we started. We need to make sure that the next generation understands Jesus is God, Lord, and the one and only Savior. We got we to make sure we, that they understand that, that he is it. And he's the only one. Let's pick up in a couple weeks from here. Let's uh, finish out this discussion, okay? Thanks for listening.